Coming up next, the bookening reads the telltale heart. Hey everybody, welcome to our special Halloween episode. I'm Nathan Alberson, your humble and obedient host. That's Brandon Chastine. Hey guys. Your... You guys hear that? Disco- no, I don't hear um, anything. I hear some obnoxious <laughs> mouth sounds that somebody's <laughs> making. <laughs> Just like the obnoxious mouth sounds that that person Brandon murdered used to make. Just like it. Sounds just like the... Telltale mouth sounds. The telltale mouth sounds. The telltale mouth sounds are just like, I did it! Hang on just a minute. (laughs) Stop it! All right. There we go. That'll teach okay now. Uh, I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host. That's Brandon. Hey. He's the scholar who's a baller of reading. Yeah. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) And uh, that's Jake. He's the pastor... Who's a master of reading? Yep. I thought it, Nathan, I thought it was bleeding. Brennan? What? We're not going to do any of that this year. None of that? No fun. No Zero fun. fun. Yeah. Bookening is no longer about fun. What I, well, it never was. Uh, we, we were laboring under a false delusion. Mm. It turns out we're supposed to be boring and serious. Yes. And well, I'm glad we've all grown up and we've realized this. Mm-hmm. No fun here on the bookening ever. Yep. And anyway, those Halloween puns, you know. They're not such a scream. (laughs) They're not such a scream. Yeah. They really have (laughs) diminishing bleed turns. They're bloody awful. (laughs) Only a hack (laughs) would make those kinds of puns. Well, I'm glad you saw your way to reason. I died. Yeah, we're back. Halloween. <laughs> Welcome to the spookening, everybody. Ooh. I'm your humble and obedient ghost. It's the pastor who's a master of bleeding. <laughs> just yeah. like always. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just yeah. bleed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, it's Brandon Chast Fiend. Hey. The scholar who's a baller of a mauler. spooks. A mauler of spooks. That's right. Or bleeding. <laughs> Ooh. Oh, man. I'm so happy. It's Halloween month, guys. Dies. All right. Yeah. And we're going to do five terrifying, terrifying stories. I like to put a hat on a hat. When I don't know if anybody's noticed that <laughs> when it comes to Halloween puns. I mean, you're always Never. wearing two hats on your head. When it comes to creepy dollo scream puns. Dollo? What's like a, doll, a creepy doll. Oh. Like Chucky. Oh, gallo. Creepy when gallo it comes scream. to gallo's scream. Yeah. Guns that are used Ooh, that's, that's, murder weapons. I'm scared. <laughs> I am so scared. You know, Brandon, gun safety is one of the issues that I like to hit from time to time on the spookening. Yeah, I know. I know you do. <laughs> I don't care about gun Well, I, I do care about gun safety. Nathan does care about gun safety. <laughs> that's great, Nathan. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm so excited. This is the first of five mini-sodes that people are getting about Halloween stories. And as me and Brandon recounted last time, Last year, we did the same thing. And you guys were like, these stories suck. You're dumb, Nathan, and fat. Why did you pick these stories, loser? And I was like, I picked Poe and Hawthorne. And yeah, nice job, idiot. Yeah, well, guess what? Yeah. One of those things may not be true this year. (laughs) One of those things. Okay, well, we'll find out which one. (laughs) I'm still fat. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got the dumb and we got the good stories. (laughs) We'll see which one it is. (laughs) Okay, so I picked. So this year, I I completely 
did away with the idea of trying to pick like legacy classics. Although today we are doing a legacy classic. The legacy. The legacy. Really, the legacy classic. I think my first scary story. It seems like it's a lot of people's first scary story. It was my first scary story. Frequently anthologized. But then after that, we're going to do a bunch of stories that are, I think they are all legacy classics in kind of the weird fiction field among aficionados, but they're not, you know, they're not among the weirdos who like this sort of thing. Yeah. Among the weirdos who like this sort of thing. These are the sort of things that the weirdos like. Uh, But we tried to, I tried to represent a broad spectrum of genre. And <laughs> I don't know who I was watching, but they said, I'm the, out. I'm leaving. <laughs> you know what? It, it was Alex Trebek. I was watching Jeopardy and he said the word genre, but he said, <laughs> he really swallowed that. You know what? I haven't completely come to terms with is how sad it's going to be when Jeopardy has to get a new host. Yeah, that will be sad. The world will not be the same. Yeah, no, I am sad about that. And I guess it's going to be pretty soon because he's pretty sick, I think. Yeah, he is. But maybe like, I wonder if they'll just quit Jeopardy. I don't think they should. It's a great format. I mean, I love Alex Trebek, but I want them to keep doing Jeopardy. They have to keep it going long enough for one of us to go into Jeopardy. Yeah, exactly. I nominate Jake. I nominate Jake. I, I second the nomination. He's got and a better chance of having that TV charisma. Yeah, Jake's got that TV charisma. People will love and it when he becomes losing. the next. I'll lose. What's his name? Uh, Ken Jennings? Yeah. I think I know somebody that's been on Jeopardy. Yeah. Uh, my wife knows somebody that's been on Jeopardy. Actually, it was funny. We were watching Jeopardy, and she was just like, I know that guy. Huh. And then and she didn't know that he had been on Jeopardy, and he did very poorly. Actually, <laughs> there's a reason. Maybe she <laughs> didn't know he was to hide on Jeopardy. The facts. <laughs> he I was. Think, I think my high school physics teacher was on Jeopardy. He do. Okay. He's been on several game shows. He's a super smart guy. Yeah, he yeah. would do great. So on those kind of trivia shows. Yeah. When it comes to just yep recalling random facts. Show thirty two twelve. Mike Kelly, a high school physics teacher from Newburgh, Indiana. Mm, there you go. I'm not sure how I would do. I do okay watching, but it depends on the category. When it comes to just recalling little facts, I'm not he always was the on a, He had a winning streak too. Nice. Wow, so he made some money. I feel like there are certain subjects that I'm so weak in that it would just kill me, like geography. <laughs> it all subjects. comes down to what that last final category is too. Mm-hmm. If he you came away s- with 15,000. So nice. not, a, not a big winner, but. No, not, not but, hey, but hey, still 15,000. 15, yeah. I would take it. Yeah. Somebody offered me $15,000, I wouldn't spit in their face. Probably the best show to get a chance on would have been like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Because mm-hmm. you have th- a. He definitely tried to get on that one. I think he yeah. might have too. Because you have a good chance of walking away with at least 20000 on that right. show. Uh, folks, we're talking about The Tell Tale Heart by Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> that's the Raven. <laughs> uh, Nevermore. Nevermore. <laughs> Uh, what baggage, what gaggage do you guys bring to this gory? Uh, I read it when I was young. It was my first horror story and it kind of, um, along with, for some reason, my granddad or somebody had these stories and I read it and I read the pit and the pendulum and it kind of, I don't know. There was like a rancid, dark, forbidding quality to both of them mm. that really stuck with me. People have observed that about Poe po before. probably turned me, I think, against horror. I didn't like it mm. quite as much because that was in the period where I was reading, reading a lot of Dickens, too. So it was the Dickens for me, mm-hmm. not the Poe. <laughs> so anyways, that's my baggage with it. There you go. Jake, your baggage? I remember reading it. I don't remember the context. I don't remember if it was just because you know, if I picked it up in a, I'm I'm certain it was in a school textbook. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I read it for class or if I 
you know, it was one of those times where I was flipping around in the textbook and reading everything but the thing I was supposed to be reading. But I remember, yeah, it got me. It's scary. But um, <laughs> I do need to take that back because I don't think this was my first introduction to horror. Oh, what was it? I think my first introduction to horror was reading. I was at my cousin's house in North Carolina and they had books we weren't allowed to read, which mm-hmm. was the, the Goosebump series. Mm-hmm. And I read one about a ventriloquist dummy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember being very scared of that book. Hmm. So Goosebumps were my introduction to the genre yeah. as well. The genre. I forget the name of that particular one. Um, the Puppet Master's Revenge or something like that. No, I can see the cover of it. If you give me a minute, I'll yeah, I can see probably think it. Okay. Probably remember it. You did famously on this show, and one of the moments that delighted me the most, pull, managed to pull Say Cheese and Die yeah. for the one Goosebumps cover that I vividly remember, <laughs> which is a bunch of skeletons like at a barbecue or something yeah. being photographed. Yep. Say Cheese and Die. Say Cheese and Die. Oh, I almost had it. Night of the, li- Night of the Living Dummy. Yep. Whoa. There you go. That's amazing. Yep. Jake's Goosebumps Recall, second to none. Well, if he has a Goosebumps category on Jeopardy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> what is Say Cheese and Die, Alex? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. This classic, this horror classic by R.L. Stein features... Yeah, <laughs> category is just great works of literature. <laughs> yeah. $2,000 question. Or it's the bonus. Yeah, it's the... the what are they called? The, the double... Ending. Double Jeopardy. Uh, yeah. Double da- Daily Double. The, thank you. Yeah, the Daily Double. Oh, man. Nothing annoys me more than when someone goes small for a Daily Double. I, I just know. saw one yesterday where she was like, I'll bet uh, $100, Alex. It's like, come on, lady. Bet it all. Have a backbone. I mean, statistically, the people like Jennings, the people that do well on Jeopardy, the people that make a lot of money always generally make it a true Daily Double. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's how that one guy had his big run is it wasn't necessarily... I mean, he had good detail recall or whatever trivia recall but he also but he was he just knew how to he was a risk taker he's a gambler yeah exactly that's the gambling aspect of job but is more important than i think a lot of these dumb contestants give it credit for so from what i've seen you have to be willing to take the risk of getting the question wrong and just always be the fastest to answer because Mm -hmm. odds are you'll know most of the questions which is why some people buzz in and then have no idea sound look like idiots they're just like ah (laughs) i read this story and I've, I've, I've told this story on the booking before in various contexts, but it was in a fourth or fifth grade, I think, literature textbook. And I was doing what Jake just said, reading all the stories that weren't assigned and or just reading ahead. I just happened to come across the Telltale Heart in the middle of the night in my room by myself. Perfect situation for maximum Telltale Heart reading pleasure. You found um, it delicious. It was delicious. No, it wasn't deliciously deli- fey. No, no, no. It was not deliciously fey. Actually, it was just. Oh. <laughs> it, since then, I've developed the deliciously fey bone in my body. <laughs> but, ah, <laughs> the okay. deliciously fey bone. You know how yeah. people have funny bones. <laughs> you have the <laughs> deliciously fey bone. <laughs> but reading the Telltale Heart for the first time, it was just unpleasant. It was what yeah. you, what Brandon described. It was just like, oh, I don't care for this at all. This is really scary. And there's nothing. It's sickening. Yeah, there's nothing fun about, like, it's not ghosts and goblins. There's no distance that you can kind of put yourself from it. It's just like, this is what sick, psychological man is capable of in all his squalor. Live inside the heart of a murderer who is 
being tormented by his guilty conscience for yeah. 20 minutes or however long it takes you to read it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so it made me feel bad. It made me feel, and, I, and this is kind of one of those feelings that I think grows into that deliciousness probably in a bad way, but it felt very transgressive. Like mm-hmm. I shouldn't be reading this. Like I've stumbled on something that's forbidden. Like m- I feel guilty. I don't know whether my parents knew this was in the textbook, whether they would want me to read it if they knew about it. I don't remember whether I knew Poe or not. I assume I probably knew who he was. Yeah, I mean, I think my first introduction to Poe was The Raven. I think it's most people's. Yeah. My, that, that or this. Yeah. I mean, he's, he does what he does pretty well. Like, mm-hmm. it's very, there are the other feelings that he evokes. So he is very feeling-oriented. Mm-hmm. It's very, what, a, a, affective that mm-hmm. way. Yeah. Dealing it with affect. That's well, if anybody's ever read his philosophy of composition essay, which is a wonderful essay on writing the Raven, he says in, in any kind of short work, you want to choose one feeling or one mood. I mean, this was part of Poe's Fo's philosophy. Mm-hmm. And then you want to make everything point toward conjuring that up. So he's not going for a multiplicity of effects or anything like that. He has one thing yeah. he wants to do. And here it's the danger and the threat of being watched. Mm-hmm. And this risk of a psychopath because it's it's horrifying when he like his he gets obsessed with that vulture eye mm-hmm. and that itself there's just something creepy I think that has to go with the transgression he he picks out these weird ways of talking about things mm-hmm. so like having the old man have a vulture eye it's just that makes you he he seems a little creepy himself yeah adds to that element but just the guy watching him at night like slowly opening the door and then the lamp slowly the little beam of light on the vulture eye it's yeah. Yeah. It's it's claustrophobic, it's dark and scary and yeah, it gets across that feeling that really it's difficult to talk about, but it's really he's good at it. He does it. Whether or not it's a good thing to dwell on. <laughs> well, it's like a waking guilt dream. I mean, it reminds yeah. me of those those dreams you have where you've killed somebody or I don't know if you guys ever <laughs> I hope you guys have these dreams uh, or, or where you sure. you just know you've done something, maybe you've cheated on your wife or Whatever it is, you've done something so transgressive that you can never go back from it. You live with this guilt. And if anyone's ever had, I I know this is a category of dreams. I know you guys have had these dreams. You wake up and then you can't shake it for a while. Like you still feel bad. And at a certain point, say to yourself, I didn't actually do anything. And yet it was, and and yet it was all there. You feel like it's a part of your subconscious. Subconscious. Part part of you. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And these do feel very, um, id freudian mm-hmm. gross they feel gross but they feel gross in a way because they're tapping into things that you know are true but you just don't want to think about and don't know that you should be thinking about yeah well i think the part as a kid at least that felt the most transgressive in that way was just the idea that he kills this man because of his eye yeah you know the cask of amontillado i've always thought it's a weak post story. i've never liked it it always just seems like a really simplistic yeah, he buried the guy alive. How spooky. I've never because he was a better wine connoisseur. Because he was a better wine connoisseur. <laughs> but that one feels petty and like it kind of makes some kind of lame sense, at least in this heightened Medici era kind of way. The Telltale Heart is spooky in a very transgressive way, precisely because it feels like there's no motivation, there's no reason, there's nothing to grasp onto that makes any sense. And yet in some kind of monsters from the id way it all makes perfect sense well it's his portrait of psych psychopathy or however you say it psychopathy so i hear people say it differently right so 
And that's scary and weird and feels like something you shouldn't. It's like podcasts on serial killers. Mm -hmm. Like, should you really be taking joy and delight in this? So, yeah, I used to do a decent amount of true crime and I had to give it up at a certain point. Just, yeah, things that are like on real serial killers where the motivation just seems so irrational. Mm -hmm. Or the obsession we have with that, with this darkness and this. What's uncomfortable about a story like Poe is that it's hard to parse the difference between. You know, you're doing, you're reading this because you want to be scared and you're actually then teaching yourself to love what is dark Mm -hmm. when you shouldn't really be loving what is dark because part of it has to be driven by some sort of joy and pleasure. Otherwise, why aren't you doing it? Yeah. Like, I mean, that's hard to get away from and that's hard to, hard to make, that's hard to justify. This one feels the most like that to me. Something like the pit pit and the pendulum. It's just like, oh no, horrible things are happening to this guy. I hope he escapes. It feels more. Yeah, more like a classic suspense story to me, at least. There's a there's a lot of dark trappings to it, but it's a a good story on the Inquisition. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) good old Inquisition. Uh, But this one, I can't think of a Poe story that I would say puts you in that headspace. And maybe some of that's just whatever the opposite of nostalgia is. Some of that's just I read it first and it put me in that headspace first. And I don't even the Mask of the Red Death doesn't really do it. I mean, that's more of an allegory. This one feels not like an allegory. This one's visceral and gross in a way that the others aren't. <clears throat> yeah, I I really can't think of a story that has affected me yeah. more. Now, what sets this apart from like modern horror is that modern horror would just have him, I don't know what it would do, but here at least he's consumed by the guilt of the heart beating and that's part of the story is he can't keep himself from confessing right. at the end. Well, we're going to do so, a Patricia Highsmith story later, and one of the things that she trades in is the idea that people do these kinds of things and don't feel much of anything. Yeah. And it's creepy or whatever, precisely because the guilt is subliminated or ignored altogether. Well, she's also dealing with marital abuse. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in this particular story. <laughs> yeah. But like her famous, her most famous story is probably, well, besides, well, Strangers on a Train and the Talented Mr. Ripley are both stories of people who just get away with certain things. And it's creepy to think that they might get away with these That's a creepy movie too. What the Talented Mr. Ripley. Yeah. They make a lot of things text in that movie that were subtext in the novel. And I don't think it's the better for it, but whatever. Well. It is nice seeing Jude Law get beat to death. (laughs) 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 All right. I like Jude Law. <laughs> Jude Law's great. Against, uh, nothing. <laughs> young Dumbledore. I don't, I don't actually. I like Jude Law. I really like current Jude Law. Like Jude Law has matured well. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I think anyway, once his hairline started receding and stuff, like there's just a a certain um dignity. There's a certain dignity that comes with with being a uh, nope. pope. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that comes with being the young pope. Yeah. No, that comes with being not a pretty boy anymore. Judois wears his age pretty well. I think that's what I'm saying. Yeah. There um, you go. Here, here to Jude Law. Here, here to Jude Law. Well, uh, anybody got any more deep thoughts about the Telltale Heart? No. Nope. How many decapitated heads out of ten? Do you all get? of them. All of them. All right. Yeah, all of this one gets it. It 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 has all the elements that you have to be careful about with horror, but it's definitely the most effective of them. Mm-hmm. So. It's it's a classic for a reason. It is a classic for a reason. And unlike some of the Mask of the Red Death or that stupid Lovecraft story from last year, the prose is very effective. You can't accuse it of being... No, he's... I mean, it's, it might be purple, but it's appropriately purple. Poe's a fine writer. Yeah. 
I, actually, I think he can be a pretty bad writer sometimes, but. Well, but he also can be a fine writer. Yes, and in this, case, in this case, he is. I always like the snotty Baudelaire quote about, uh, oh, no, no, no. You always but, like being a snotty. Yes, I always like remembering snotty things that other people do have you, done. Do you, Nathan? The snotty, what's the name of that guy that just died? Harold Bloom. Oh, yeah. He said, Poe reads better in translation, even into English. Oh, man. Harold Bloom. <laughs> yeah. More like Harold Gloom. Good day. We'll be back next Tuesday. And don't forget to draw us pictures of the locust of meaning. He's a creepy fella. 